You asked. Who was that man? Could he really have been the Messiah, the Son of God? Could he really be the one that God sent to redeem this world? Yes, and let me tell you why. He is the one that drew me out into the darkness. Like rivers swell their banks in springtime, Mary's heart expanded and it moved her to walk into the darkness, to go to that place. Mary's heart carried both gratitude and pain. That's how love works. She carried gratitude for Christ's love and she carried the pain of Christ's death. And all she had hoped for in Christ was not to be. The letter to the Hebrews says that for the sake of joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What Mary endured, what Mary knew was that Christ's ministry had met a violent end. Each step to his grave in the darkness felt like a mile. She'd come to see his hands, to touch and to remember. In exile, memory leads us to hope. Memory holds the tension between the pain of grief and the treasure of gratitude. And what Mary expects is not what she finds. She spills her broken expectations over Simon, Peter, and the disciple whom Jesus loved. And they each and they all move differently in the darkness. They are unaware of the new dawn arising. Though the beloved disciple arrived first, he couldn't immediately go in and confront the mystery. Peter, he directly enters the tomb. But Mary, she stands weeping at a distance. Faced with the death of someone whom we love, we move into and we move through the darkness. We make our way to the grave and we sing our alleluias. We know that grief and gratitude go hand in hand and we rehearse resurrection together. We speak those scriptures that we are convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like Mary and the two men, we move in the uncertainty immediately aware of what has been taken away from us. In Exodus, women worked together for God's good plan. It was an Egyptian princess that went to the edge of the water. It was there that she pulled a baby out of dangerous waters and she gave to him a name, Moses. Moses, for it means that she pulled him out. This one, Jesus, Jesus draws me out to move in the darkness. And this is what I know with grief and with gratitude, that the tomb was empty. He is risen. He's risen indeed.
And let me tell you why. He's the one that meets me in my grief and pain. John's gospel does not allow us to overlook the grief of that first Easter morning. We are made to witness to Mary's tears, tears that continue to shoot to continue to fall as her nightmare worsens. Grief upon grief erupts from within her. Not only has Jesus been killed, but now his body has been further insulted. It was grief, not joy, that the rolled away stone first evoked. At the sight of the empty tomb, Mary does not feel joy. She feels violated. Her wound has not yet even had a chance to close before it is ripped open again. Her tears give witness not just to an emotional attachment, but to a world erased. There is nothing left of Jesus, no vestige, no place to find comfort near what was once him. The powers of darkness have killed him, and now they have wiped away any trace of his existence. Mary's tears testify to the darkness. And today we gather together seeking to do the same. We join Mary in her grief because the tomb is empty. And so is the church. This Easter is not light and flowery. The tension of joy and sorrow is a heavy weight to bear. But Jesus, God's love embodied, embraces us in this place of grief and invites us again, saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I know this, because the tomb is empty. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And let me tell you why. He is the man who calls me by name. The Gospel of John tells us that the crucifixion took place in a garden where there was a new tomb where no one had ever been laid. And it's there where Mary is doubled over, bent in grief, weeping, soaking the earth. I imagine that the garden accepts her tears moistening the soil for seeds for what will grow from that place. And it's there as she's bent over, peering into the tomb, that angels appear and ask Mary to rehearse and, and to make meaning of her situation. Woman, the angels ask, one at the head and one at the foot where Jesus had been. They ask, why are you weeping? The psalmist says that weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And Mary says, they have taken away my Lord. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. In the darkness of those early morning hours, her story becomes much more personal. At first, to Simon Peter and the beloved disciple it was. They've taken away the Lord, and I don't know what they've done with him, but now it's about they have taken away my Lord. 
and the pain of telling her story makes her literally turn away. It is hard for us to tell our hard stories because when we start to tell our hard stories, it takes us to a vulnerable place because we have to tell the truth of this is how it is with our lives, especially those painful and uncertain places. And it's in this garden where Jesus stands right in front of Mary and she fails to recognize that it's Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who was sent to redeem the world. She has no idea that it is he until she hears her name, Mary. It's only in the hearing of her name that she plunges into the deep waters, into the language of her childhood faith, and she responds with his name, teacher, and it's only in the hearing of her name that she hears a word of hope. Do not hold on to me. Let go of me and go, go and tell the good news. It is only in the hearing of her name that she makes known a new story. I, <laughs> I have seen the Lord. He is risen. He's risen indeed. And let me tell you why. He is the one that reshapes how I see this world. Simon Peter and the beloved disciple, they were quick to leave that space of grief and tension once they saw the empty tomb for themselves. The beloved disciple is said to have believed, but that belief only went as far as to believe that Mary was spoke the truth and that Jesus was gone. Those disciples returned to their homes without much of a story to tell. And I wonder, had they only waited a moment longer or looked up as they departed, would they have seen the gardener too? It is Mary that receives the wonderful gift of hearing her name spoken aloud. Mary Magdalene, the one that stayed by the cross and by the tomb, she is the first to receive new eyes to see. Mary, a woman on the margins of society, is the first to have her world reshaped by resurrection. And this is the world that Christ offers to us, a reality that the incomprehensible love of God has and will forever triumph over death. Easter is God's protest against death and against all barriers that separate us one from another. A world refashioned by resurrection gives us confidence, knowing that not even death can steal us away from God. Resurrection faith holds us in the goodness and the truth that Jesus embodied. It gives us the courage to stay in place, to wait a moment longer with our tears, and then, when our vision clears, to go out and to tell others, you're not going to believe this. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And let me tell you why. He is the man that leads me to the margins. Easter people... Well, we go to the places of pain and suffering. We go to the margins. We go and we rehearse resurrection. 
Wendell Berry says it this way, so friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord, love the world, work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor and love someone who does not deserve it. It is at the margins where we learn best that maybe, just maybe, what if this darkness is not the darkness of the tomb, but instead is the darkness of the womb? Daily, God, through Christ Jesus and the Spirit, gives us opportunities to be born again, to be born in a new way, the way, the truth, and the life. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We, we have, have seen, seen the, the Lord, Lord, and we, we are, are the, the Easter, Easter people. people. Today, both the church and the tomb stand empty, and there is undeniably good news in both. Each point to the love that has been unleashed in this world, a love that shapes our reality and leads us to sit in the difficult places and make difficult choices, even sacrifice, if it means we are helping just one of our neighbors. Easter is the victory of life over death. And God, God is big enough to hold the pain of our grief and the world-shaping reality of resurrection. God can hold both our grief and our gratitude for enduring hope. Jesus was the one God sent to redeem the world. Easter is the celebration of God's selfless and conquering love. The spirit of Easter the world-shaping reality of the resurrection lives in us and works through us this day as we give ourselves to each other in a way that we have never done before. Easter is our day to hear the Messiah, the Son of God, call our name. And Easter is our day to sing with Mary. We have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. And most of us, are staying home for each other, even when it's not easy. Others are going to work, caring for, and serving our neighbors, even when that is the hardest thing to do. We will all emerge from this season with the scars of our collective grief, holding the residual pain of loss. And because we are an Easter people, we look to the God of the resurrection to meet us in our grief and hold us in an enduring hope for we have seen the Lord. The storm is passing over, and we are moving from darkness into Christ's light. Alleluia. Amen. Amen.